0: After that, stronger. After that, stronger hearing. But I did not know. Now it's a, it's a bit of a difficult message, and the reason is is because there are very easy to get into ditches in this subject. In this subject, very easy to get into ditches. How I was already thinking along uh, these lines, preparing the message this week, and then I heard on I was listening to the radio, news talk ten ten not doing a plug for them, but I happened to be on in the car, they were talking about the, a, measles out, a measles outbreak, you know, the kind on your skin, measles outbreak. I'm not about to weigh in on that particular discussion. Uh, you probably have your own view on it. But anyhow, they were discussing measles, and they were having a call-in, and someone called in, and, and, and uh, you know, the, the conversation ended up being about, if God is good, then why does he bring the measles and sickness, and then you go to sufferings and pain and all that type of stuff, right? I mean, we sang about it today, God is good, right? So, uh, so there's that question going on, of course, on this, on this radio program, they didn't get to a, a conclusion, they just, you know, up and hands up. But maybe you've asked that question, God, if you're good, then why X, Y, Z? Why allow this to, to happen? Of course, if you've come to TICC, you understand how we've taught from that perspective. Uh, we've taught, number one, that is God in control? Yes, God is in control of the cosmos, of the, the universe, if you will. Uh, macro scale. But God has given control of day-to-day operations, if you will. He's given the keys to day-to-day operations to man. Uh, he said to Adam, here, you take dominion and authority. You have control over the garden, over, over life. In other words, we see that on a, on a broad stroke, on a broad scale... God holds, the scriptures say, in him we live and breathe and have our being. In other words, he holds it together... but he's given control, day-to-day, day-to-day operations, to mankind... And with that control, we have the freedom to choose, and we chose evil. Evil's brought pain and suffering into this world, into this life. Now, um, you could ask the question, then why did you even give a, God, why did you even give us the will to choose if you knew it would bring suffering and pain? Why even give us that? Well, I think we don't have to go too far down the road to understand. Without the, without the ability to choose, we become robotic beings. In other words, we just basically cease to be. You are not you unless you can choose. If somebody else chooses for you, you are them, not you. So we had to have the ability to choose. So in all of that, we can see, in a sense, that God is not the author of the measles outbreak. He, it's allowed because operations were given to to us and we, you know, made the wrong choices, but he's not bringing it on people. But even saying that, it can still be somewhat depressing. Why? Because Wrong choices happen every single day. And that means evil just continues and continues. And to make it worse, I, you put your own name in there, I make wrong choices. You probably do too. Therefore, the cycle continues even of my own making, even of your own making. Kind of depressing. But thank God we didn't come on a Leap Sunday to be depressed, but to find hope in the midst of the chaos, in the midst of all the, the evil and difficult situations. Are you on the, Are we on the same page? Can we find it in the midst of the, the chaos? So, our key text today is 1 Peter chapter 5. And in 1 Peter chapter 5, Peter says, cast your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Be sober, be vigilant. We're going to come back to that word a lot today, sober. But be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Verse 9, the scripture says, resist him. How do we resist the devil? Well, verse 7, it already said, cast your anxiety upon him. Our battle with the devil is not him and his pitchfork and me with my pitchfork and we're going at it in this cosmic battle. No, the battle, spiritual warfare in a nutshell could be these four verses. It's, will I stay at rest when there's chaos? Will I stay in faith, at rest, in the victory of Christ when there's pain and difficulty going on around me? Peter says, resist him steadfast in the faith knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. Verse 10, he says, but may the God of all grace Who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus. I like that. All grace. Say, All grace. grace. That's our God. After that, you have suffered a little while. Wait a second. I don't really like that line of the verse. After I have suffered a little while, perfect you, establish strength, and establish. I like that part. But I don't know if I like the that. Do you like the that? The suffering. He says, After you have suffered, a little while. See, that's why this is a difficult message because nobody wants to hear about the suffering, and yet here today. I mean, Peter said, "After you've suffered a little, a little while." Now, let's be clear. Again, in First Peter five, who's he saying brings the suffering? It's the devil, right? For John ten, that Jesus said, "I've come that you may have life." The enemies come to steal, kill, and destroy. In other words, we understand where the where the where the difficulty comes from, but at the same time, he doesn't say you won't have suffering, and I'm not sure I'm okay with that. I'm not sure I like that. I should say, right? I mean, you're kind of masochistic if you like the suffering. So we're all in the same boat, and that's okay. So my message after that, the, that is the is the sufferings that we don't really like. I don't like it, but but notice I'm going to get to the end of the message right now, and then we're going to backtrack. But he says after that, there's strength. After that, there's something good. So don't walk out on me yet. But but there is, according to peter there is a little while of suffering and we don't like that but take courage first corinthians chapter 10 the scripture says no temptation other translations say affliction you can put in there suffering pain whatever you wish it's the same meaning after the affliction has overtaken you i mean no temptation sorry this this screen cuts off a word so i read it wrong no temptation or affliction has overtaken you that is not common to man But God is faithful, and he won't let you be tempted or tested or afflicted beyond your ability. But with the affliction or testing or trial or suffering, he will provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Take Job. Job is a perfect example of what we've just read. Job, the book of Job, Job is T-I-C-C's perfect example church member, if everybody could be like Job, I would be a happy pastor, I am, you're all like Job, but no, no, I'm teasing, but you see, Job was perfect, I mean, the man, he was righteous, he brought all his offerings, I mean, he did everything just right, and then everything falls apart, suffering, right, affliction, and we see, we get a behind the scenes pullback of what takes place, Satan comes to God and says, God, you, your servant's next to perfect, I want to test him, and then God allows it. See, I have a problem with that, but it's what the scriptures say. So anyhow, we see that Job experiences some loss. And yet, Job also experiences an after that. We see in this basically a nutshell, the story of what Peter is talking about. Because Job, they say, about nine, for about nine months, he had, he'd had terrible affliction, suffering. And yet, after that, he came out stronger with double everything that he lost. And so... But what I'm looking at today, because often we just glance over the, 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 the suffering, and we can almost be caught surprised when there is a bit of suffering in our lives, uh, unless we take, as Paul Peter said, be sober. Look at your neighbor and say, be sober. You see, I have a problem with after that. I would rather during that or before that, right? I'd rather just avoid it. I'd rather avoid the pain. I'd rather avoid the suffering. And yet here he says, after that, after that, Come on. But I think there's a a principle that we all know deep down. And it's this principle that without some adversity in life, there will be no growth. Think about it for a second. Without adversity, there will be no growth. Now, I am a new parent. And so I'm not about to give parenting advice. However, I am a little bit cognizant of the grand challenges ahead of me in parenting, right? It's a challenging world, and so I ask God for wisdom. Having said that, I study. And I've come across a phrase, and I'm not teaching you parents. I'm saying I, as a new parent, must be cognizant of this, but there's a term called helicopter parent. Anybody ever heard of the phrase helicopter parent? A few of you. A helicopter parent as acts like a personal concierge for their child. Do you know what a concierge is? Uh, it's like when you go to the hotel They kind of roll out the red, open the door, roll out the red carpet. You don't have to lift your bags. You don't have to experience the sweat of taking your bag. They do it all for you. They make your life beautiful. And there is a, apparently, I'm about to experience this. Pray for, look at pray, put your hands out and pray for your, I'm about to experience this apparently. But there is a pressure in today's society to be your child's personal concierge and to shield the child from all pain and suffering, adversity. Now, in the short term, they, apparently the child has great advantage. Now, some of you teenagers in the room, you're like, "Yeah, I could use that right now." But but you see, in the short term, there's advantage. I mean, who wouldn't? If you had a 24/7 assistant in your life, don't you think you'd have an advantage over your coworkers and over all the you know people around you? You would. But in the long term, they've found that you know what. It actually works against the the child. I mean, I, I was Googling with some examples, because again, I'm just, I'm new to this. I have to figure it out, you know. They, 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 I, I, there was one dad, he would go to, to his daughter's uh, classroom before her exam, and, and just to get all her pencils and pens and papers in order so that there'd be no distraction as she took her exam, so that she could be just focused in and get the top, gra- I mean, you know, there was another parent who wouldn't let their child ride a bike, because they might scrape their elbow, or, you know, uh, there's all kinds of cases like this, shielding from pain, shielding from from struggle so that the child never has to you know, to to, to to experience this, but they've, the psychologists have proven long-term very bad results. Health-wise, the child never learns to moderate themselves. They're always told what to eat, what to drink, and told, to, you know, everything just perfect, it, it, especially in this area. They, they grow up feeling entitled, like, I deserve everything, and yet when they get out into the real world and realize that, you know what, no one else thinks you deserve anything. Life isn't handled to you on a silver platter. A lot of discouragement, a lot of disillusionment with life, right? Are you following me, parents? I mean, those of you who are more senior, you're like, that was foreign to me. That wasn't what my parents were like. I wish I could have had a little more concierge in my life. But anyhow, but that, that's the pressure we have today. So pray for me as a new parent. But, but, but you see, it doesn't work for the child. Because when they get out on their own, have to have to feel a bit of pain. Uh, you know, and it's creating a, a pain-free exist, uh, society whereby we don't like to feel pain. So as soon as the slightest amount of pain, grab medication for it. And then we become addicted because we can't handle pain. The point being, and I think you parents get it, and you need to pray for me as a new parent, but that without a little adversity, right? Our children don't grow. Now there's a balance. Don't think, well, poor Leo, who's my, he's, if you're new, he's my two two-year-old two two-year-old two, two son. Poor Leo, he's going to be in for a great challenge. I'm just going to throw him to the curb and let him feel every pain. And no, there's a balance as a parent you get that i'm not driving over leo so he really you know he gets some pain and adversity in his life you you get that there is a balance right but 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 without any adversity without any i mean to be honest with you i wish that god would just take away all my pain and all my adversity so life would be easy sailing but i learned that without adversity no growth we see that in nature don't we i mean a seed doesn't bring forth an apple tree until the seed dies right a uh, 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 beautiful rose bush doesn't grow until it 's cut back pruned right uh muscles your muscles do not grow until they 're torn. look at your neighbor and say you 've been tearing your mu- you've been tearing your muscles a lot yeah you've been tearing your i could use some more tearing of my muscles but we un- we understand that without the adversity there's no growth now follow me you know I allow adversity in my, my son's name is Leo, I allow a little discomfort in his life because I love him. Following me? Now, for example, when it's dinner time or bedtime, I take away his toys and to him as a two-year-old, I am inflicting upon him great affliction, right? Right? If you've had a two-year-old, you know what I'm talking about. How do I know I'm afflicting him? Because his face turns deep blue shades of purple. And tears come streaming down his face. I tell you, as an adult, I don't know if I've ever I've experienced such affliction that's caused me to turn such shades of blue and purple and such tears just streaming on the floor as it is when Leo has his toys taken away at dinnertime or bedtime. And I'm sure if he had the rationale to consider it, he'd think, God, I mean, Nathan, why, Daddy, why are you afflicting me so? But you know why his parents, right? It's because I want him to, to eat i want him to go to bed or else he's going to be just a mess of a, of an infant right he's going to be sick and tired but to him in his limited perspective in his immature perspective i am afflicting him with the the greatest atrocity that that is known to mankind deep shades of purple but to him it's very difficult to connect the dots but i do it notice because i love him you see and this is natural. I love my child more than, you, than your child, and you love your child more than, I, than, you, than my child. I get that, right? That's normal. In other words, I don't come to your home and inflict pain on your child. I don't take away their toy. I take away Leo's toy. Why? Because I love him. Because I love him. But to him in that moment, I'm creating this great catastrophe in his life. You see, I think sometimes there's diff- adversity allowed in our lives. To our perspective, it's kind of like my son Leo, everything's falling apart. That deal you've been working on for months fell apart. God, why? You said you wanted to make my name great like Abraham. I've been working on it. You said, the works of my hands will be blessed. And the deal fell apart. Ah! Deep shades of purple, right? I think maybe what we're being told is that The end goal is still the same, name great, but it's an after that, an after that little bit of setback, adversity, because we understand that the adversity, it makes us stronger, and it's actually love that propels the parent. In many ways, it may be the love of the father that allows some of this adversity, because without the adversity, we might never... Grow. You see, that's why one believer can go, two believers can go through the same storm of life. One believer seems unflappable, at peace in the storm. The other is just, like my son Leo, purple with tears. Same storm. Why? Because one has come to that mature level to recognize that if it was allowed, there's an after that. If, if he allowed it, first of all, First Corinthians, like we read, he'll never allow more than we can handle. So if it's in your life, you can handle it. Look at your neighbor and say, you can handle it. But in the meanwhile, a mature mind, a sober mind, like Peter said, sober mind. You see, why I said this is not always easy to preach. We don't want to hear about sobriety and, and affliction. But I think like a child today that never understands that there's a little bit of We can be disappointed with what the practicalities of life, but a sober mind also recognizes that, you know what, an after that is always coming. In other words, we don't quit, we don't give up, we have that perspective that after the tears and after the pain, there's always an after that. Somebody betrayed you. That's not good. It hurts. Maybe it was even a spouse. There is an after that. Did God cause that to happen? No, we read from Scripture after Scripture that God is not the author of evil. But even in the mess that comes as a result of bad choices, there's an after that. Stronger, more settled, better off. Amen? Say it with me. After that, stronger. If he allowed it, it means that you can handle it. But it's hard to connect the dots. We don't enjoy it. I think one of the greatest prayers, and that's what Paul prayed in Ephesians, he kept saying, open our eyes to see. Give us wisdom. Make us sensitive. Because if we can learn to see, we sang about it earlier, I'm going to sing in my trials. I'm going to sing in my difficulties. My melody is going to be my whatever. I forget this. It was a new song. I just learned it. But, but it takes wisdom to be able to see the after in the that. But God has wisdom and open eyes so that we can see. Amen? Now, my dad, he loved to garden. He loved to f- flowers. You know, he would grow flowers every, every year when I was at home. Now, my wife yesterday, she bought some bulbs at the store. She wants to plant them in the, some soil, and she wants to grow. So she called my dad and asked for some advice on, par- on, on not parenting, we need that too, but, but on gardening, and gardening. A- and, you know, it made me think back to, to my dad he would he would uh, he had these rose bushes rose bushes he had a beautiful one a pink one and i don't know i forget the other color but they were beautiful and he loved it every year he'd be out there cultivating and when i was young all i remember was was just these beautiful roses i remember the beautiful roses and as you get older, you start to notice things that you never noticed before. And so one spring, I noticed my dad did something. I had, I'm sure he did it always, but I just had never noticed it. He went out there at, with his shears, and he, he, I mean, he killed the plants. He, I, went, I mean, I remember the year before, they were, they were these beautiful rose bushes, right? Tall and, and, and just beautiful, colorful. And then I come out there in the spring, and they're cut down to like the stubbies. I mean, just, I think looking back, maybe it was six inches. But I thought, it's gone. He's destroyed it. Why did you do this? Dad, are you crazy? Right? I mean, he's poured his blood, sweat, and tears into these babies for so long. But then I noticed something peculiar. A few months later, those roses had grown bigger, stronger, taller, even more beautiful than they were last year. See, what was he doing? He was pruning those rose bushes. And he pruned them not because they were dead. You see, if they were dead, he would have just dug them up and thrown them in the tree. He the trash heap. No, he pruned them because they bore fruit. Isn't that what Jesus said of our lives? Jesus said, I am the I am the vine. You're the branch. My father's the vine dresser. And he prunes, we love that word, prunes, we love to eat prunes, but no, we don't. We love, prune, cut back. He prunes those whom he's disappointed with. No, No, that's not what the scripture says. He prunes those who have done wrong. No, he says he prunes those whom he loves. I don't necessarily like the message either, but this is what the scriptures say. But thank God, I like this part, there is an after that. There's a settling, there's a maturity, there's a strength. Have you met somebody who's been through a battle? They come on the other side? You know, there's something about them, isn't there? They're settled, they're mature, they have character, they're not easily shaken, right? You see, we don't always, I'm sure if you talk to that rose bush, the rose bush would have Been like Leo, purple-faced with tears. Why are you cutting me down to size? But that rose, you know, we have an expert gardener. The father doesn't make mistakes. He knows how to prune. He's not going too far. He's not cutting. He does it in love so that there will be an after that. A strength, a maturing, a growing, a, a development in our lives. A strength that we never knew existed but without the adversity that we don't like. Discomfort. I told you it was not easy to preach. Because I don't like the discomfort. Look at your neighbor and say, I don't like discomfort. He didn't say we have to love it in that sense. I missed the scripture. Put that Hebrews 12 up because it kind of... You know, I mean, even the author of Hebrew, Hebrews gets it. He doesn't say it has to be pleasant. though to love it. He says, Hebrews 12, no discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. I mean, even the author of Hebrews didn't like it. But later on, it produces a harvest, a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. You know, I think of some of the struggles that I've been through. You put your name in your struggles that I've been through and come through the other side. And I can see now how it was making me stronger. I think of the time years back, not here at TICC, so don't think you know who I'm talking about, I had a boss years ago, very unfair, he was older than me, he was really unfair to me, he treated me kind of poor, I didn't like him, he didn't like me, I didn't like him because he was unfair. And I thought, I got to quit this, this is stupid. And everything in me wanted to run. But you know something else in me said, don't run there's a lesson to be learned here. You know, looking back, I see now how the dots are all connected, but I see how things have worked together, and I see how that, you know, not running, even on the unfair situation, it's made me stronger today. You know, people still, t- we all get treated unfairly from time to time, but now, you know, when I'm treated unfairly, I'm not, you know, I'm not as frazzled. I'm not frazzled by it, because I've seen, you know what, even treated unfairly, I, I see how God knows how to make it up. I know. see how he knows how to connect the dots. I see how I don't have to be frozen because I've been there. I've done that. There's a maturing. There's a character. Isn't that so much better? And that's what God, who loves us, He's allows some adversities to to happen because he wants us to be stronger after. Amen? You see, the scriptures tell us that we are anointed. I talked about that a couple of Sundays ago. We're anointed. And I wish that we were anointed from all the troubles. But that's not what the scriptures say. The scriptures say that we were anointed for the trouble. Put that up. We are anointed for the adversity, not from it. I wish I was anointed from it, but it says we're anointed for it. David said Psalm 46 and 1, he said, God is our refuge and strength, a present help in the trouble. You got troubles? I don't even have to ask. We all got troubles. Present help in the trouble. Psalm 89, David said, or God said, I have found my servant David and with my holy oil I have anointed him and my arm will strengthen him. The enemy shall not outwit him. I wish that I could just be kept away from the enemy, but the enemy is still allowed to come, but he will not outwit me and he won't outwit you. You are anointed for that trouble. Whatever trouble you're in today, it's not a surprise to God. He won't allow it to overtake you. And you have the strength and anointing to overcome. Amen? I think of a lady, her name, anybody ever heard of Fanny Crosby? Dr. Betty has. A few of you have. You know, Fanny Crosby, when she was six weeks old, she became blind. When she was six months old, she lost her father. She ended up getting married, lost her only daughter, lost her baby when they were six months old. As a result of losing the baby, there was stress put on the marriage. They separated. This was in 1820, when the Me Too movement hadn't come yet, Dr. Betty. You know what the Me Too movement is, right? Women's lib, women's rights hadn't come. So she was a second class. She had no father. Her husband left her. She was blind. It looked like a lot of adversity, right? And by the way... There are ditches to this teaching. I grew up in a church that's taught, whatever happens, that's God putting it on you. Blindness, that's God's will. That's why it's tough to preach this message. Blindness is not God's will. I'm not teaching that. Uh, You understand that. We teach that so much here. So please, don't go down that road. But here we see what God can do even in adversity. They didn't have a revelation of healing then. And look still what God did through this lady. Do you know that she wrote 9,000 hymns? 9,000! 9, yeah. She had a lot going again. I, I had to help put that in perspective for myself. Do you want to perspective how many 9,000 hymns are? You know, Hills, we sing a lot of Hillsong songs today. Hillsong, very famous. They write a lot of songs, and they have a lot of all, composers and all that. They've, I was on their website. According to them, they've written approximately 300 songs. 300. Fanny Crosby wrote 9,000. She was known as the queen of gospel songwriters. Songs that we might know as Blessed Assurance, To God Be the Glory, right? She wrote 1,000 poems, four books of poetry, two best-selling autobiographies. Books containing her songs sold, or lyrics sold 100 million copies. 100 million. That was before Amazon Prime could ship the book to your door. No airlines, no flights. 100 million She had a goal of winning a million people to Christ through her songs. A million people. That's before transatlantic flight and all that. I mean, this was insane. She was well-known by presidents, generals. She was the first woman to speak in the U.S. Senate. A blind lady who lost her dad, lost her husband. I mean everything working against her, and yet even for her after that. I tell you what, we who have a revelation that God heals, that God, he he doesn't leave us in poverty and all this and all that, we, if she can accomplish that in all of that adversity, how much more we who have a revelation of his abundance and of his prosperity, blessing, healing, and health, how much more after that can he do in our lives? I guarantee most of us have not been through the that's like Fanny Crosby. Amen? But in the that, Peter says, have a sober mind, have a sober mind, have a sober mind. Why? Because there are voices, others' voices, our own voice, that want to tell us to quit. It's too uncomfortable, it's too painful, just get mad, just quit. And that's why Peter said, be vigilant. Be vigilant to have this sober mind. It's not God, the author of evil, but in afterwards, he will make you stronger. Be vigilant. Have a sober mind. Because I've learned that if we keep running from the pain, it keeps coming around and I have to face it later. When I run, I don't learn. And I find it fascinating that it was Peter. It was not fascinating that Peter wrote 1 Peter. Of course he wrote 1 Peter. But I find it fascinating what he was teaching. Because it was Peter who had to have a sober mind. And it was also Peter that in Matthew chapter 16, when Jesus was telling his disciples that he had to suffer on his way to the cross. It was Peter who piped up and said, Surely not you, Lord. You, don't, you shouldn't have to suffer. And Jesus, I mean, if it was you or me, we'd be like, Thank you, Peter, for that sympathy. I appreciate it. I'm going through a hard time. This is a bit painful. I appreciate the sympathy. Right? I appreciate what did What did Jesus respond Sometimes we can like, why did he respond like he did? And, I, and it's not that I don't think he was mad at Peter, but he knew in himself that there was a great temptation to quit. He was a man like us after all. And so he turned to Peter in that moment when, when Peter was really only being sympathetic to his pain and suffering, and he said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. And I think sometimes there's going to be times that we don't call your neighbor Satan by all means. They mean well. But when you're going through a difficulty at work and they say, ah, the boss isn't fair, just quit. Really? I mean, there is a time and a place. There is a place. But I'm not saying, I'm saying if we're always running from everything that's unfair, everything that's unpainful, right? The spouse was a little bit rude or the person at the door was a little bit rude at the church, so, you know, leave the church. If we run from everything, it's come, we never grow. Get behind me, Satan. Don't say that to the ushers and the, you know, they're not Satan. You're not saying, they mean well. But sometimes, even our, even voices in our own heads say, you know, you deserve a break, you deserve that. You know what, it, it, maybe you do. And, and, and we preach a message of favor and grace. And, that, and I am preaching, there's an after that where you'll be stronger. But be vigilant to have this sober mind in the that. Not God, why did you forsake me? Why did you leave me? But God, help me to see where you're making me stronger. Help me to see the way of the escape in this situation. You see, it's in the battle where we find the spoils. We all want the revelation. You know, there's head knowledge and then there's revelation knowledge, right? It's in the battle where it becomes revelation. Let me explain. I can, on one hand, I can say, God, he is a provider. We say, amen, he's a provider. But it takes me going through a, where I don't have enough, and then experiencing his provision where I say, he is now my provider. That's the difference between head knowledge and, and revelation knowledge, Right? It's what David was explaining in Psalm chapter 23, where he said, The Lord is my shepherd, and I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the paths." Don't put up the next verse yet. Notice what he's saying. He makes me lie down, and he shields me, and he refreshes me, and he guides me. This is good, right? We love Psalm 23, but notice what happens next. Go to the next verse, verse 4. He says, but then I found the valley of death. We don't like that valley, right? This shadow of death. But then he says, I will fear no evil. And notice what happens, that he is great and he is my shepherd. It turns into, God, you are my shepherd and you are my rod and you are my strength and you are my comfort. In other words, it goes from the he is great to you are great. It becomes real. It becomes something that is tangible in his life. He's saying, you know what? I used to know it in a head nod, but now I've experienced that. I've been through the valley of the shadow of death and I've seen that he didn't leave me. He was with me. And now the next time that I experience experience that valley, I'm going to be stronger in it, and I'm going to help other people through it. That's what God said to Abraham. I'm going to make your name great, and you'll be a blessing. In other words, the next time you experience that valley, not only are you going to go through it calmly, confidently yourself, but you're going to help other people through it. See, that's how God is taking us. After that, stronger. And you might be in a that. We're all in a that this morning. I don't even want to say maybe. We are all facing that. But I want to tell you there's hope today. Number one, it's not God. God is good, he, but in the, same, in the midst of all that evil, he brings order, he brings help, he brings a way of escape. There is a way of escape for you. There, I can't promise that it's going to be by 1235 today. Maybe, maybe he forgot to leap forward. I'm teasing, he doesn't forget. You, you, never mind, you forgot that. You missed that. But you know what, he, I'm not promising a timetable, but I'm saying there's an after that. In the meanwhile, don't get this, God, why did you allow this? We take the toy from our child so that he'll sleep and eat, right? Yeah. God's not putting, you know, again, don't go to the ditch. Oh, you know, I'll just put up with whatever. No, sickness. God said in his name we will speak to the sickness and it will go. Don't throw everything out we've ever learned. He's talking about having a sober mind. But you know what? If God allowed it. I mean, it was it, 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 take healing. It was when you experienced the sickness and used his name where you experienced that Yes, no it's not just the head nods. You can pray to the sick. No, now I understand. I, he's my healer, right? Didn't bring the sickness. Don't go down that road, but have a sober mind. Have a sober mind, amen, after that. You know, sometimes the that's our own making, aren't they? Like in John chapter four, a lady came to Jesus. She had five husbands. The one that she was with was not her own. She came to Jesus. She had a mess, a real mess, a big that, of her own making. And what was Jesus' attitude to her? He gave her grace, revealed Himself, right? In other words, you maybe you say, "Well, Nathan, that's great and all, but my that's sort of my own making." You know what? There's grace for you today as well. There's an after that even for you. We can't make mistake. We can't mistake our way out of the after that. There's an after that, even if the that is of your own making. Amen? Yes. Received hope today. Amen? Yes. Can I hear another big an amen? You haven't fallen asleep on yes. Leap Forward Sunday, have you? Yes. I want to do some, one more very important thing. Can we all stand together? I no moving around. Though. I want to do one more very important thing. I'm going to ask Jermaine and Glenn to come to the to platform only. And please, the rest of us, just take a moment. and Don't know moving around.